This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, good evening, edgy folk, and welcome to the Wednesday Late Show, this evening hosted by the delightful Tom Hopkinsburg, who is ready and raring to go already. I can see him there. Um, good evening, Tom. How are you doing this evening? Certainly ready. Raring might be a little bit of it's been long half a week so far um and for me i'm now more than halfway through for half term so i'm absolutely delighted um yeah very good evening everybody and welcome to teachers talk radio tonight um my name is tom Hopkinsburg. it is the 27th of september and today we are talking all about teacher workload i'd love to remind you about some shows past and future as well um two of them hosted by tom rogers on on monday last monday um two days ago he welcomed lindsay patience and lucy rose um to talk all about their new book flex education talking about all things flexible working in education and that was published with sage um, and you can get the um, 25% off for any Sage book with the code TTR25. Um, and next Monday, on Monday the 2nd of October, Tom is back and he's going to be asking the question, are teachers more tired than ever before? And I think that links really, really nicely to our show tonight because I'm going to be exploring essentially what can be done to reduce teacher workload. And the short answer, if you don't want to sit for 90 minutes, is not a great deal if you don't have a lot of money. So we're going to delve into some of those things. We've got, got a couple of guests um, we're going to hear from um, coming from very different perspectives in terms of a teacher workload debate. Um, I'm going to run through the history of teacher workload um, as well in terms of initiatives that have been and gone. And I'm also going to share some approaches that have been taken, which may or may not have been effective. Um so to start off with, before we introduce our guests for tonight, it's worth me telling you um, that teaching, yes, it is a rewarding profession, but it does come with its fair share of challenges. And that's where ADAPT come in. Now, they're not your typical trade union, but instead of our modern day political alternative, they offer expert legal, employment and mental health support. This is protection without the politics. So what makes ADAPT different? Well, they're always apolitical and independent. They specialise solely in supporting individual teachers and every caseworker is professionally qualified ensuring you get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. So whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, ADAPT are there for you. Why not join the thousands of educators who have chosen ADAPT to protect their careers? Subscribe at adapt.org.uk today. ADAPT, supporting school staff protecting careers and here's something special for teachers talk radio listeners during september use the codes ttr annual or ttr monthly and you will receive a 10 percent discount on a subscription and with adapt you could save over 80 pounds compared to equivalent union membership tonight's show is also brought to you um, in association with vibble the home of verbal feedback vibble is a feedback management platform designed to reduce teacher workload using vibble you can simply snap student work Record verbal feedback and send your feedback to a student or even a whole class in seconds. Once your students receive your feedback, they're notified by email and they can access and respond to your feedback on any device. 
You can track and monitor how students interact with your feedback and set up feedback coaches to instill a culture of best practice in your school. The possibilities are endless. and This is why Vibble has been trusted by schools across 18 countries to reduce teacher workload and give better, faster and more collaborative feedback. So if you're interested and you want to set up a free trial or a pilot, why not visit www.vibble, that's V-I-B-B-L, .co.uk today. So it's time to introduce our first guest. Um, we have Gwen um, on the line. Um, Gwen, I hope you're there. Have, ha Good evening. How are you doing? Hello. I'm oh, very well. How are you? Good. So for people who don't know you, Gwen, and I know I've only got you for about five or ten minutes um, tonight, um, just tell us who, who you are and sort of where, where you are, because we, we I know you've left teaching and you're now in tutoring. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so um, teaching in state education for um, 20 years, all told. Um, most of that was in secondary school. I had um, about four and a half, nearly five years in further education. Um, and, um, yeah, I decided, I think, that I just kind of couldn't and perhaps didn't want to um, teach in state education anymore. Um I just didn't have another year in me, so it was time to kind of bow out, really. So you're now tutoring. Um, so, yeah. so what? I mean, look, I'm a history teacher, so I go through this looking at all sorts of different causes: your long terms, your short terms, your catalysts, and your triggers. Was there a straw that broke the camel's back in terms of perhaps your old workload paid, or was it sort of a culmination of a series of longer term causes? I, I think it was. Um, I suppose you, you look back over over twenty years. And you kind of weigh things up and you kind of project a little bit uh, to the future and go, oh, you know, things are difficult now. And they, they, I think they'd be difficult in schools um, from the pandemic for all, onwards for all sorts of reasons. One of them being uh, terrible education secretaries making things an awful lot harder than they needed to be. And I thought, well, is it, is it going to get any easier in, in the next couple of years? Um, and I thought, well, obviously not. It's just going to get increasingly more difficult. Do I have the energy? Do I have the mental capacity um, to want to cope with that adequately? Um, I didn't, don't think I did. Did I have the um, energy? No, I didn't. Did I have the, the desire to, I suppose, take take the um, hits that that is teaching? So you've got to. Um, there are there are negatives that go along with the positives, and you can cope with the negatives. If in your head and while you're teaching, you think, okay, this this is great, this is good fun, um, and and you kind of learn to swallow the things that irritate you. I think, and you perhaps you suppress them a bit, and then um, and then there comes a point where you don't anymore. Yeah, <laughs> when you um, and you go, oh, no, <laughs> no, it's ridiculous. I mean, talking to some of so talking to some of my former colleagues who've left teaching the last year, last two years, um, a lot of them have said. The best thing about the job was actually being in the classroom with the kids. Yes. Does that chime with yes. you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was always always the best bit was um, was with the kids in the classroom, and there's always that there's magic moments that will never be replicated in any other environment. You know, um, the light bulb moments, the unexpected daft question that makes you fold up double in laughter, um, the annual annual um you know that year seven hands up like daffodil daffodils in a breeze that drives you a little bit insane there's there's stuff that you just can't replicate you know any other job and you wouldn't want it anywhere else either but i think i i, I for me personally 
there's just a growing intolerance of pubs that you, and you, it's a job that requires sacrifice and you make those sacrifices um, you think for the good of the school for the good of society as a whole for the children sat in front of you and um, then then there's I think a lot of that is taken for granted mm. um, and a lot of people sort of say well if if you're struggling in education as a teacher, you know, a lot of people mm. do, then try another school. Was that something you did? Was it something you contemplated or was it something you just outright projected? It was, I, mean, I was in, it wasn't the schools, you know, I was in a nice school. Yeah. It wasn't anything, it was nothing the school could have done. It wasn't the school's fault. There's no blame I, I assign to the school at all. It was, a, it was a really nice school and I was lucky to be there. But I think that some of it was down to, um, previous experience it was down to previous experiences in in other schools um you know bullying uh, incompetence um and um being overwhelmed and that kind of stuff and that the scars remained and the wounds were there and it's just being in a school was enough to um to keep triggering depression anxiety and stress and i thought i i don't want to continue to be medicated in order to go and do my job mm. and so in terms of looking at that sort of depression anxiety and stress is there yeah. what is there one we've got the dfe's launched a new workload task force yeah published a survey in 2019 it published a survey in 2016 so it's not the first time it's done something like this um if there if you could ask the workload reduction task force to focus on it might be one thing it might be two or three things what would you ask them to prioritize and focus on well i think they need to do better than that five hours a week i think that's laughable um what difference is five hours a week going to the going to make to somebody marking year 11 mocks when they're not gonna have time to eat or or uh what's five hours in in a full-time teacher's workload it's nothing um so i think they need to be a bit more ambitious about the ways in which they want to do and how do you and or who's measuring what when mm. And you need to need to look at what is being done, like teachers do, um, do like actually log what they do from the moment they perhaps not even before they get to school when they actually start doing things for school. It might be at home, um, and uh, I think that would be useful. I can't, can't remember. There's a special word phrase for it, isn't it? Where they just log what you're doing and you write down how long it takes. Oh, um, and. Try time and motion mm. things like that. I'm not sure so um, I might know somebody else might know um study so let's see what actually is done and how how um much um school invades other parts of your life that's that's the thing I think that is not just me but it, it can it can overwhelm um and being constantly overwhelmed with other people's expectations of what you should be doing your own expectations of what you'd like to be doing but probably can't um because there's too much work to do um uh constant feelings of oh i, I need to be doing better mm. um uh, th those things i think are very damaging to to teachers and teaching in general um and i think um that the, the idea about that five hours is i think that the, the, one of the biggest problems is the um, teacher's time, which is absolutely everything, is just really not respected. Mm. And I think that that got me more and more in, infuriated um, towards, and I think it's probably because I was leaving, but that infuriated me more and more is the extent to which a teacher's time just isn't respected. 
okay, um, like say, oh, can you just do this thing? It'll take five minutes. Well, that I was I was doing this thing that's really important for the kids that I'm going to teach in a minute or tomorrow. Um, you're really important. Not necessarily important to me and my class and my marking load. Um, and that's what I mean by teachers' time not being respected, mm. um, particularly. No, I, I see exactly. I see exactly what you mean. Um, some people have said twenty percent PPA, so experience that would be better. Have a, a ACT's timetable um, would would that be sufficient or just or, or necessary it or first be, step? It might not be sufficient, but it would be better than the ten percent that that. that we've got at the moment that again that had to be fought for didn't it that wasn't always the case no indeed unions fought unions had to fight for that uh and the, all the admin jobs and things that uh, teachers shouldn't be doing but probably are doing because there's you know schools can't retain support staff because their wages are shocking um and can't compete with less stressful jobs um uh where people can work from home. the inflexibility i think is is a is an issue mm. Um, in schools in general, everywhere. Yeah, and I do want to talk about um, a tweet from yesterday that you put out, and um, you said, this could easily be in poor taste to my fellow teachers at the minute, but it will mm-hmm. also make a point to our recruitment of retention of teachers. So I'm now in my third month kind of being on the outside of teaching, and I've noticed I'm not tired all the time. It was wow. 80,000 80, views this morning. Um, so a lot, a lot of teachers <laughs> looking at that and going, how, how on earth? So... Um, you know, you're now tutoring, and yeah. um, you know, if if you if you somebody's listening to this and is a teacher and is thinking, I can't do another year of this, and if it's for summer, I just need to get out. Uh, what would your advice to them be in terms of sort of finding a way out? Oh, it's it's not easy because I think when you're exhausted and, and mentally done in, but finding the um, time and means to research another career um perhaps rejig your cv and it, it can be that that's another thing that can overwhelm it's like oh what do people outside of education want and look for in a cv in a job application they got used to applying for teacher jobs and writing the epic statement and the time the talk about teachers time being not respected the whole job application process is terrible um you know, but you, you, that's what I know. Um, so I think you need to look at um, what can I do already as a teacher that would be um, valued and appreciated elsewhere. And there's all that, that stuff to do with because time is so precious, your time management, your project managing, your problem solving constantly. You obviously know how to work to deadlines because that's a constant in schools. There's a, a there's a million things that, that are skills and knowledge even that teachers have that are transferable elsewhere. Um, there's loads of Facebook groups groups that will help teachers um, with job applications in other fields. And there's an awful lot of teachers um, moving to the civil service, which has got its very own kind of special um, recruitment process. Mm. So it was just something to learn. But sometimes it's, it's you take a leap of faith and go, right, I just need to resign. Mm. And that that also gives you then the impetus because money's going to stop at some point. Mm. <laughs> that gives you a special kind of impetus to go, right, I, I need to sort myself out. Mm. So I'm giving myself a whirl as a, somebody that's self-employed. So that's also a lot more stuff to learn, especially to do about tax. Um, 
but yeah, I don't think it's e it's not an easy process either. Um, leaving teaching, something you've invested an awful lot of your time in. Certainly, if you've been in it like a couple, you know, a long time, a decade um, or so or more, it's very hard to, to to let go of. Yeah, and carry on. And I, and and I was thinking about mentally, the process is very difficult, and you can feel very defeated or or feel like you um, feel you failed. Um, at, at this job because you needed to needed to go you needed to leave or or it was be crushed or crushed or crumbled it, it's it's it was very very difficult and it would be nice but it would be impossible if there was a process of having certainly if you're leaving the profession of having like a soft exit in the way that that in theory that ECT's reduced timetable is a is a soft it's supposed to be like a soft landing it isn't it's really bloody difficult but. That a way that you can write, I can I can um, tie things up. I've got, I need I need a bit left on the table so I can tie things up for people who will be inheriting my classes. Do you know yeah, what I mean no. by a, a way of making the exit actually not unpleasant? Yeah, definitely. You want to leave on but, good terms. Um, I think yeah. the point that you made is really interesting about the ECT timetable being sort of soft landing, and it definitely isn't. Um, it's worth always looking. No. I mean, I, I I I'm I work in a school which is attached to a skit. Um, and I'm very close with our skit director and they were saying to me last week about the changes which are being brought in for 24 and 25 trainees mm -hmm. um, in that they've got I think they've got to average across a training year 15 hours a week of teaching that's the average so for half of that year they're going to be doing more than that now most most yes. trainees I've worked with and I've trained um, are probably picking up 15 slightly more than 15 towards the very end so to average that across yes. the whole year um, you talk about soft landings, they're being thrown in right at the deep end. Yeah. Ah. That's like limestone stuff, isn't it? It's um I'm just pouring tea, sorry. Um it's uh, it's um it, it should be softer than it is. And I think the um there's elements of the administration of the ECC process, again it's just from what I observe on Twitter and some um conversations is it's very um uh Kafkaesque and labor int intensive. And I think these systems are, are developed and put in place for the ease of the people at the end of creating the system, but not for the people who have got to do it and administer it in school. So there's not, there's never very much like end, they call it in software, don't they? End user mm. consultation. Like you swap what from one, say, um, software system for recording attendance like Sims to um, Broncom or something. Yeah. Um, and that's again, that's done for the convenience of perhaps people who are collecting the data from those systems, but not necessarily for ease of use of the te of the teachers in the classroom. Um, so that's another relevant. I mean, about about teachers' time not not being respected, and I think I just that grinds you down. Yeah. Um, the other thing, of course, that you made um, your point you made about was the application forms for teaching um, being completely arduous. It, you know, I think it's absolutely ridiculous as well. The um, new, the new, the new, um, the new culprit I've found um, from helping um, tradies, in particular, applying for jobs, is the online application form where you can't save a copy for the future if you need it. So you have to make sure that you've got copies of personal statements and any application jobs, histories, yeah. etc. Because as soon as you send it online, it disappears forever. So that's my... So I'm fully behind a national campaign for a single ad application form for all schools. Yes. That's that's really well formatted because they're not always really well formatted. No, a lot of it's yeah. on sort of Microsoft Word 97 and... Um, 
you know, full of yeah. all of these clunky text boxes and whatnot. And and then then we have like the um, the Hunger Games element of the teaching interview process. That's a whole nother show, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. whole show. Now, Gwen, I know I didn't have you for that long, so I'm going to let you go there. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your evening. And do feel free to hang around if you like. Uh, I will, yes. Thank you Thank you. Much. I'm now going to bring in Sam because Sam's been waiting very, very patiently. And I know I don't have long with Sam either. So Sam Strickland is on the line. He is principal and CEO. I think that's a new addition to your bio, in which case, congratulations, Sam. Um, how are you doing tonight? Yeah, very well, thank you. Thanks for having me uh, on here. Um, now, I remember, Sam, I, I think, it, I, I mean, I've lost all sense of time in the long term, but I think I heard you speak a couple of years ago, um, a local um, research aide in Nottingham, I think, um, about yeah. um, set, just sensible approaches to workload and time management and things like that and just really stripping it back and just making it really really simple now you come at this from an interesting position we've just heard from Gwen um, who has just left the profession as a teacher and gone into tutoring You're, you sit in the chair so to speak as the head teacher so what sort of perspective do you have on teacher workload from the principal's chair yeah I mean I'm I obviously look at it from not just my school's perspective, but um, I'm out of go up and down the lanes because my school's part of the National Behaviour Hub scheme and, and obviously see what's on Twitter. And, and workload is a huge topic, isn't it, amongst all, all teachers. And I'm really privileged to be able to deliver um, this bite size ultimately in terms of what the entirety of teacher training, but but talks to teacher training providers and they're, they're half full. Um, you know, there, there isn't a, a maths teacher, a computing teacher, a physics teacher. Primary is down for the first time possibly ever in terms of recruitment um, figures. And, and that, I think, in, in many regards is a manifestation of um, perceptions about teacher workload and what the job actually entails. Um, and certainly, I think the, the pandemic has kind of accelerated um, th this issue, I think, hugely. And I think to what we've had to experience over the last two, three um, years, certainly the last couple of autumns and winters, uh, this isn't meant as a criticism of teachers at all, but the number of staff that, that are absent through illness of getting COVID has, I think, exemplified workload because then you've got people covering one another um, and, and covering other one another almost willingly because they don't want children to suffer, especially with examination year groups. But of course, that puts another pressure um, you know, on staffing bodies um, there, there simply isn't enough staff to go around at certain points with, with, with staffing absences um, to cover every class in many regards and that covers supervisors and supply teachers that is one element of course of, uh, of workloads but I think there's a greater awareness as well um, I do think that again the pandemic has a seismic sort of psychological shift in people and workload was something that was bubbling in a big way in 2019, 2018, and certainly before then. But I think people have had a chance to, dare I say it, probably stop and pause and think about what they're doing a lot more. Remote working has come in. I know Gwen talks about that um, as as, a, as being a thing. And I, I think to many of my friends who are not teachers and have, in inverted commas, real jobs, for want of a better phrase, uh, and that they're, they're able to work remotely for two three four days a week they might only have to go see office once a month depending on which one one of my friends are talking to um so i do think teachers have a, an eye on that actually in terms of well what else is there out there 
um, but but intrally do look at what they're doing day in day out. And however we strip it, twenty two out of twenty five periods a week um, working full time is tough. It's tough, irrespective of everything else that teachers have to do. Just the simple being in a classroom in front of children, teaching them, it is taxing. It's hard work, and it's hard. I, I don't want to especially over a sustained window. I want to pick your brains on this as a principal in your case, um, because I'm. lots of people have said, well, you know, Tom Rogers has been on me and said, why not have a PPA a day at second or 20% PPA? Um, it's a really noble aim, but just from a principal's perspective, in terms of a fund, how much additional financial pressure would that put on the system in terms of fun- financing 20% PPA? Well, I think this is the root problem really with with regards to workload in the main isn't it that there simply just aren't enough teachers however we 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 want to strip it there simply aren't enough and it's going to require i I wouldn't be able to quantify how much money but it's going to require a lot more money a a far greater investment of money into the system to allow for 20 percent ppa and i think that that would be the first of many stepping stones actually i think idealistically maybe we should probably be looking at teachers only having to teach three days a week in the classroom and the other two days to do everything else they've got to do. Uh, when we actually, if we were to write down every every task, every activity a teacher has to do, is insanely extensive. Um, and, and I try not to lose sight of that sat in the chair. But I could give you kind of a figure because I think it'd be difficult to calculate. But I would imagine we're, we're looking at significantly more investment into the set. And do you think from your your position that the government understands that? Because we've got the new task force, which is going to, well, I say the new task force, we've got a third investigation into teacher workload in seven years. Um, do you think they understand that a lot of this actually comes down to something which actually amongst the public might not be that popular in terms of give te- you know, given you know the good old te- stereotypes about teachers mm. saying, well, actually, they can have less time teaching. Um, do you think the government would at all be receptive to that? We'd like to hope so. Um, I, I guess the answer here is I just don't know. I hope that the, the workload task force uh, are able to present um, really hard evidence to, I imagine, the Education Select Committee first and foremost, before it probably then goes to the Department for Education and the Treasury about what's necessary for, for the profession to move forward. Um, I think what I will say here, and I don't want to sound like a politician, though, is the profession is on the cusp if not already in a crisis and i think that needs to be recognized i just hope it is yeah definitely and we've got i think there's ten thousand um adverts out on um, a leading education recruitment website i shall say um start of a week um which you know i, I don't actually have the figures to hand from comp out of september's but i think it, that from my mm. understanding is well above where it is and so we've got and we've got this issue and again looking at your from your perspective as a CEO, as a principal and as a ceo um you've got shortages in teacher training recruitment and you know you've got tens of thousands of teachers leaving the profession for recruit before retirement and you've very simply got vacancies that can't be filled. And one of the other things, you know, having spoken to some teacher training providers is the government is urging them, you know, almost forcing them to take on people to train some teachers who they don't think are really going to be up to it and might drop out or might not do that good a job. How much of a concern is that to you? Or do you think, you know, these people can sort of be moulded into effective teachers? 
it's a massive concern because if they're the people that you're you're ultimately relying on to teach the children in your in your school the the quality of delivery and it's going to become questionable the ultimately the the outcomes for these children for those children could be really put in jeopardy and um, if you've got a non series of inexperienced non-specialist people teaching math teaching computing teaching physics name but three areas where there are national shortages of course of these teachers that that's a, that's a huge issue foreign languages is another one in terms of trying to hit evac targets for schools well where are all these teachers hiding and um, because they don't that they are there there isn't an abundance of them and business studies is another area in the last two years become a real kind of crisis uh, zone in terms of, of recruitment so i think if you know in answer to your question it's a, it's a huge concern because your ideal universe you want a fully qualified fully fledged teacher in front of every child yeah thank you for that um and if i could also ask you about sort of you know you're a historian first and foremost in terms of sort of marking how much of a problem has marking been in terms of workload well, i think through the if I go with my own experience, and um, it's, it's, it's always easy to talk about other people, but it's probably unfair. Marking was always um, hugely time-consuming, hugely t- taxing. Um, I think to my first school, which is an upper school, I predominantly taught GCSE and A-level classes uh, and had oceans and oceans of marking to do. And I think there needs to be a rationalised approach to what we're marking, why we're marking it, how we're marking it, and what is the purpose behind it? What's the impact we want to see from it? I, I think routine marking, I mean, we have this in place at the school, whole class feedback works really well and is a, is a huge time saver. Um, I appreciate that for um, A-level essays, as an example, you may have to mark those properly, so to speak. But I think you've got to come up with a sensible approach that, that leaders understand and, and actually leaders also support um, staff to make those decisions around kind of the, the marking approach localised to their subject yeah definitely i mean like this year i've got three year 10 classes and um, but what that means is next year i'm gonna have three year 11 classes um and yeah. then um before, and then you've also got me two year 13s one year 12 etc and me one year 11 this year so there's quite a lot of marking going on and i know sam you just mentioned whole class feedback and it's a great opportunity for me to um remind everybody listening to teachers talk radio tonight that this episode is sponsored by vibble the home of verbal feedback Vibble is a feedback management platform designed to reduce teacher workload. Using Vibble, you can simply snap student work, record verbal feedback, and send your feedback to a student or even a whole class in seconds. Once your students receive your feedback, they're notified by email and they can access and respond to your feedback on any device. You can track and monitor how students interact with the feedback and set up feedback coaches to instill a culture of best practice in your school. The possibilities are endless, and this is why Vibble has been trusted by schools across 18 countries to reduce teacher workload and give better, faster, and more collaborative feedback. So to set up a free trial or a pilot, why not visit www.vibble.co.uk today. Um, Gwen, I was wondering if you're still there. Hello. Hello. I'm not sure if you've been able to listen to what Sam's um, had to say from the principal's chair and in terms of issues around workload in particular marking, I, you know, yourself being a former English teacher, um, has what Sam's said so far chimed with you? What, because about the move to whole class feedback? Mm. Yeah, no, there was, um, yeah, I think you, you still need to be shown or, or learn how, how to be able to do that quickly and efficiently. It, um, 
rather just say, oh, just do whole class feedback. You yes. Just, okay, but, but how do you want me to do it? And what's the most efficient way to do it? And that, then that's useful. I think, um, or because I know each teacher will adapt something to suit their own way of doing stuff. But even that, yeah, when um, we had a whole um, class feedback policy, it's very hard to um, undo the habit of close marking when that was how, how you would talk how to do it. And um, you're under the throne of, remember, the, the era of um, dialogic marking where you had to have a conversation with the, the pupil in green pen and purple pen. Or, um, you know, if you were trained to mark in a particular way or in a forensic kind of marking, so well, how do you how do you learn unlearn it? Um, and I I and I, I didn't I didn't quite unlearn it. So um, I, I I think some things need to be much more explicit and, and dealt with more explicitly and clearly. So this is what we mean by whole class feedback. This is the most efficient way to do it, and. Not, this is um, I'm going to show you exactly how to do it um, and then and then that should save your workload and I think that would help a lot of people because like I said I never kind of found my way with it there might be a me thing where I think I need to do things thoroughly or I've not done it well enough that's probably a me thing rather than a school thing. yeah no I, I think um, they're all really valid points and I think it goes with any sort of new policy or any new idea you know you can't just go to teachers look we're going to do old class feedback here you go you've got model it but to produce it you've got to show good practice you you know off give you opportunities for deliberate practice so yeah completely agree with all of that and you also remind me with a dialogic mark in different uh, colored pens of a wonderful video i think it must have been about six years ago now um or maybe even longer um about a star wars parody of the dreaded offset inspection um where it talks about 15 different colored pens each for different parts um, of a marking process. I think we've lost Sam though. I know we're only going to have Sam for about 10 minutes, um, which is absolutely fine because he shared some really useful mm. and important um, perspectives there from the um, perspective of the principal. Um, I should point out, of course, that Gwen and Sam have spoken with us tonight. Um, you can too. If you're listening live on Teachers Talk Radio, then if you're listening on Spaces, then you can click on the button, the request button on the bottom left hand side of your screen and you will have the opportunity to come in and share your thoughts on how we can reduce teacher workload. I can see I'm going to do the wonderful thing which we used to do in Zoom teaching of welcoming everybody in the room. So we've got Andrew, subject leader of MFL. We've got um, South Africa to the UK, a dad educator and lifelong learner. Very good evening. We've got Oslem. We have got Michael. We have got Nathan. We have got Miss Hurst. We've got Mrs. B. Um, we've got Abby, primary assistant head. Would love to hear from a primary perspective tonight. Um, we've got Mr. Das. We've got um, teacher mum done. Um, in another English teacher um, as well. And of course, we have got Peter as well. Um, listening i think from columbia although i'm a history teacher not a geography teacher so i'm not 100 percent sure with my flags um there are other things we can talk about and um thank you very much for staying with us so far gwen i wanted to talk about emails and i did want to ask sam about emails uh, because sam um works at leader school where emails are sort you know but emails are not sent in evenings and they're not sent at weekends um, and they're all scheduled sent or, you know, it's a, as a way of sort of promoting, you know, that work home 
balance. Lucy, you've got your hand up. Yes, no, I just wanted to, I didn't want to interrupt you, Tom, but just to say Sam had to dash, unfortunately, but he did pass on his thanks to you and uh, hopefully we can get him to come back. No worries. I know I, I knew I only had him for a limited amount of time. Um, I, I was wondering if you were going to say something about emails, Lucy. Um, well, actually, there is a law in Portugal where I'm based where you're not allowed to email outside of work hours. That's that's very interesting. Um, I, I don't know what you think on that, Gwen. Um, I I've been, had been that's one thing I've been very strict about with myself when it came to work emails, but uh, work emails, um, which was after working at a school where it was it was the culture to answer emails at half ten and eleven o'clock in the evening. And it, um, that was one of the first times I was signed off sick with ex- um, signed off work with with exhaustion and um, and stress. I'd lost a, a lot of weight, um, and um, from that point on, I never looked at um, work emails at home. But then it's coping with them while you're at work <laughs> because it's I can see why people do because um, I look at them in the morning. Um, and then uh, before I went home, or might in possibly in a free period, um, but you could get say emails during a lesson. Say, can can so and so come to the office? Um, no, but I'm teaching. Why, why do you think I can read an email while I'm and act upon it mm. while I'm while I'm teaching a class? Because my concern, and rightly, is the pupils that are sat in front of me. Uh, my, that's a, my concern is not your concern. Um, I, I can't act upon an email while I have a lesson on. Yeah. So there, there's that kind of um, culture can be problematic in some some schools, I think. Um, or the people sending the emails are not mindful of the fact that, that the person they're sending it to is teaching. So there's there's nothing that could be done about what they want done. Mm. Definitely. I mean, look at our school. We we have phones in every room, so if something really is urgent, then just call the phone number and send the kids wherever they need to go. And if it's not urgent, then well, don't bother about it. Wait until another time. Um, I've, 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 I'll be honest. I have sent emails at weekends, but I certainly would not expect anybody to reply in their weekend. And my, you know, I'm I'm somebody who does have emails on my phone and if an email does come on up at half 10 at night i might read it i might not read it it depends who it's come from it depends what the um subject is um but and i think that's one of the tricky things and something that you've sort of alluded to there quite about the fact that in teaching you just can't you, you no matter how hard you try you really can't switch off from it and you know Especially at all of the heads of year I've spoken to, in a couple of DSLs I've spoken to, I don't know many DSLs, but those of it who do, there are parts of that side of teaching that you just can't leave in the office or leave at the school building and they just go home with you. And, you know, I, I have tried this year to be more um, sort of, more, well, I'm trying to find the word, more considerate of times on which i send my emails i don't send anything in the evenings if i'm doing work on a sunday i might just pop an email to somebody saying in the next few days would you be able to have have a look at this or answer this or something like that um some people i know put in their email signature i'm sending an email at the time that suits me um please only reply to time that suits you i'm not 100 sure what i think about that at this moment um but i don't support 
I don't support a blanket ban on emails at evenings and weekends, the sort of thing that Lucy was talking about in Portugal. And the reason why I don't support that is because I think particularly for teachers who are parents or have other responsibilities, um, they might actually just be send they might be sending an email, you know, at a time that actually works for them. If they've got to, you know, look after their children, put them to bed, they might do a couple of hours at work. And so it might and so it might suit them. And I don't always believe in schedule sending because if you've got five people who are scheduling an email for Monday at eight AM, that's a very busy inbox all of a sudden. Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes EDAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen EDAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at edapt.org.uk today. EDAPT. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is considering significant reform of A-levels in England, which, according to the BBC, could see the introduction of what it calls a new British baccalaureate. The PM's plans could include the compulsory study of maths and English up to the age of 18, as reported in the Daily Telegraph. It's not the first time Mr Sunak has considered a shake-up, having previously said during an unsuccessful leadership campaign last year that he wanted all young people to study maths to 18. Foreign Office Minister Andrew Mitchell told BBC Radio 4 that he expects Mr Sunak to agree to reform of the education system and said the government will be guided by the best expertise on how we ratchet up standards. Concern about any proposed changes have already been raised by unions and other post-16 professional associations particularly around the existing issues of recruitment, retention and concerns around workload. A spokesperson for the Sixth Form Colleges Association said the post-16 curriculum was narrow by international standards and this was partly reflective of chronic underinvestment in Sixth Form education since 2010. The BBC also features an article on the fall in numbers of students being accepted into universities in the UK the first fall in five years. Applications also fell after demand rose during the pandemic. Fewer students got into their first choice of university this year, but more qualified for their second choice or accepted places through clearing. The new data from UCAS shows 270,350 UK 18-year-olds were accepted onto a course this year, down from 275,390 in 2022. UCAS says the figures show a return to normal growth following the surge of demand seen during the pandemic. Data for individual universities is not yet available. 
Last week on Teachers Talk Radio News, we featured reaction to the latest data published on suspensions and exclusions. In a linked story, Schools Week has published further analysis, this time focusing on data from schools linked to incoming Ofsted Chief Inspector Sir Martin Oliver. The analysis reported in the article suggests the Outwood Grange Academy's Trust secondaries excluded twice as many pupils as other schools in some of their regions. At a pre-appointment hearing before the Education Committee last month, Sir Martin was challenged by MPs over the Trust's high suspension rates. Sir Martin responded, Our figures for permanent exclusions are lower than most in the areas in which we work. Schools Week says the data for the Trust's 13 secondary schools in Yorkshire and Humber had a 0.31 exclusion rate, the equivalent of three in every 1,000 pupils, compared to 0.17 across the region's other secondaries. In the North East, the Trust's seven secondaries had a rate of 0.64, compared to 0.3 in others. Kim Johnson, the only committee MP to vote against the appointment of Sir Martin, said he should be brought back to answer for his words. Frank Norris, an education advisor for the Northern Powerhouse Partnership, said the original comments could be viewed as misleading. A trust spokesperson told Schools Week that Sir Martin was comparing exclusion rates between some individual outward schools to some of the other schools in the same local authorities with similar profiles. Spokesperson also added that the schools had been underperforming for years and had now been transformed by the trust. More details of the Schools Week analysis and full commentary can be found online. In Ireland, the Irish Independent reports on what it calls radical changes in how students are assessed as being on the way in a move to combat the threat of AI platforms such as ChatGPT. Higher education colleges are already being told to abandon certain forms of assessment because they are no longer sufficiently robust to award scores which count towards official grades. These include do-at-home assignments or essays, unsupervised online assessments and multiple choice quizzes which are conducted online. There will be greater reliance on oral assessments to check understanding and systems to identify if students have cheated by using AI. However, colleges are being told to resist any temptation to switch back to traditional end-of-semester formal exams. Instead, they should consider short-term re-weighting of assessments whilst they formulate a long-term plan. Finally, this week saw Education Secretary Gillian Keegan comment in the House of Commons that children she had visited in schools affected by poor quality concrete, known as RAC, had been petitioning me to stay in the porter cabin because they preferred it to the actual classroom. Ms Keegan's comments were met with derision by many, saying it showed a chronic lack of understanding of the poor quality facilities schools had been using for many years, particularly since the cancellation of the project to rebuild many schools. However, Downing Street defended the comments, saying it reflected a conversation with children and that the department and leaders had worked hard to make sure children had been unaffected by the current challenge. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Now we do have another speaker which I'm very excited about. We have got the South African in the UK at Cape Town PJ, dad, educator and lifelong learner. Good evening, are you there? Hi, good evening. Fantastic, I'm delighted to be able to um, hear you. 
Um, welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. Um, Thank you. If you could sort of introduce yourself, you don't have to give away too many details, just sort of whereabouts you're based and your current teaching position um, and what you want to add to this. Yeah, um, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so I'm I'm an uh, ex-primary head um, and currently working as a school effectiveness partner in um, Essex. So so working for Essex County Council. Um, so sort of, as, as you mentioned earlier, just also just bringing a primary perspective uh, to this. Um, and and just wanted to add sort of with with emails um I, I think I think many of us would agree that um it can become a very stressful uh, aspect of your role as a teacher having to feel the need to check and to respond immediately I know you've you, you know you've illustrated those disclaimers we can have with um you know not having an expectation for people to answer but just sort of from my perspective as a head and really sort of working with staff in my school at the time as to make that as less a stressful process as possible was to look at the function of emails in terms of why do we send emails and what are the subjects we send emails about. And cutting a long story short, um, we, we, we settled on sending emails about curriculum and teaching only to teachers. So not to send emails about things like performance management, uh, things like um, having to inform somebody about a meeting or or that, and, and, and to find that balance between, um, you know, face-to-face communication and, and what we're using emails for. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's a really, really important point because, yes, myself included, some people, if they see an email and they think, oh, that's... It's been, especially if it's been sent at inconvenient time, they might get stressed all of a sudden, especially if it's at the end of the day. And actually, sometimes having that face to face conversation, well, actually, all the time, having that face to face conversation with somebody is far superior. Um, we've got a tweet in from Abby. Abby, um, welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. Abby has said, Schedule sent is great. But I timed them on my understanding of the staff member. I think I know what you mean by that, Abby, in terms of you know whether that staff member is going to read that email in the morning or in the afternoon or when they're teach not teaching. Uh, but do feel free. Well, I have sent you a speaker request, so if you do want to come in and just clarify that, Abby, that would be absolutely um, brilliant. Um, so um, in terms of your role then, in terms of being sort of that school effectiveness partner working for in Essex for the council, um, and also from your perspective as an ex-primary head, from that primary perspective, what are what are the biggest workload pressures on primary teachers? Um, and are they, you know, and because I'm secondary, Gwen's secondary, Sam is all three, but specialises in secondary. Um, are there any particularly unique pressures on primary teachers we really need to know about? Um, I, I, I think... Um... You, you know, in terms of if, if we're comparing marking, for instance, I, you know, if I have an understanding that secondary school marking is uh, far more in-depth and detailed than it would be in a primary school. Um, and uh, although that's also part of, of what teachers would cite as, as workload, I think uh, it does in primary sometimes come down to the breadth of the curriculum. Um, there, there are a lot of subjects you're covering, a lot of subjects you're teaching, and all of that seems to be happening at pace. You know, curriculums are planned out um, months, 
in advanced terms in advance and teachers always feel like they're playing catch up they have to finish this lesson uh, they have to finish that lesson it affects asset it it affects assessment it affects how they are supporting pupils to cope with the curriculum because they always feeling that they have to finish um and there, there there's a lot there seems to be a lot of pressure on that um so i think um as well with and i'm sure secondary teachers will agree you know teaching for 6 hours a day is 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 emotionally draining um and and all those tasks then that teach those extra things that teachers feel they can only cope with after school it leads to that you know 13 14 hour days staff are exhausted by wednesday they just feel like they're pushing on through it becomes a very stressful experience um so i i i would say um the the level of support that leaders can give to curriculum design and 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 even down to the documents that teachers hold so that they can focus on the teaching not so much on the administration around planning lessons um resourcing lessons making uh, uh, you know spending more time in preparing to teach just adds to the workload i think they're, they're really important points and also then not always restricted to primary certainly the point about curriculum content um is primary and secondary but certainly a particularly big problem in primary um but also this point about documentation which doesn't really serve a purpose now in my school I I would talk about this um because I because I was allowed to but um we would had a document which was introduced at the start of the year um about sort of accounting for the adaptations we're making for students with additional needs in our classrooms and it was decided a few days ago well actually um teachers don't need to fill that in because the question is is was that filling in of that document going to have an impact on the students in front of us the answer is no and actually you can see whether these adaptations are working by looking at the books and talking to kids and things like that so there's absolutely no need to fill out that document so that only came about because actually teachers said well hang on a second this is additional workload and it's not going to have an impact on the kids so you know the perspective of our leadership and I think the perspective of any leadership must be is this policy that we're going to introduce have is it going to have any impact on the kids if it's no then don't do it um for heaven's sake um the whole point about reducing curriculum content or thinking about curriculum vote primary is really interesting um because I suppose my next question is what on earth, how 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 is that going to work in terms of yes primary teachers and other teach 12 or 13 different subjects um what are the solutions to that is it good? because that was you're asking and I think opposite to a large extent is asking primary teachers to effectively be secondary teachers in the amount of knowledge they have in the amount of understanding they have of different subjects and the amount expected of subject leaders so does there need to be some sort of stripping back of a primary curriculum in terms of what is taught or if not what what can be sort of done to sort of reduce teacher workload in primary schools in that respect um i i i think it's sort of as a direct response to that it 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 and and i speak from my own experience is is trying in a primary school to find that balance between subject specialism and and that all-rounded usual approach from a primary teacher to deliver everything um you know we have to consider as well then the balance between de-skilling teachers and and um allowing the um 
sort of effects of of specialism that can have a have have a really positive impact on pupil progress. So so again, contextually in the school, looking at um, should we have a music specialist or should we have a language specialist um, in key stage two teaching French or should we have a PE specialist so that you balance it out between teachers having to deliver everything and then also then still having an, a, a positive impact on pupil progress. And I think um, as, uh, running alongside that, again, it's curriculum design. And that's really, um, you know, what, what Ofsted is focusing on. Is, is, is the curriculum um, sequenced? Is it progressive? Does it make sense? Is it well set out? Does it fit into the context? And the more you get that right, then you get the balance right in terms of how much teachers are expected to deliver rather than just um, sort of loosely adapting the national curriculum and trying to stuff everything into an academic year. Yeah, all really interesting. Lucy, I know you're a primary teacher. Um, so as long as the space isn't on fire, I assume it's not an emergency and you'd like to add something. No, and I don't need the toilet either. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to write a note and then let you go. <laughs> Sorry, that was that was that was terrible humor. No, I was just going to say that um that the approach of having uh specialist teachers is something that I only came across in in the international system and it it does obviously dramatically reduce the workload so as it stands i teach maths english science topic pshe and dt and that is it everything else is is taught by a specialist which then means that across the week um my ppa is probably about I mean, some teachers are going to absolutely die when they hear this, but it's about eight hours a week, so which is un unheard of in the in the UK. And you know, we are fortunate in that we do have specialists here you know, for music, for PE, for all these things. But in the UK, and with the current crises, multiple crises going on, I think. I mean, I I love the idea of of that and of having more more specialist teachers in primary. I, I'm not averse to that, but it it's recruiting them. At the moment, and it's it's you know getting them getting them in place. One hundred percent. And when I was at primary school, which feels like a long time ago because it was um, actually weirdly not that long time ago, um, I I remember being taught by specialist teachers for music, for PE, and for well Spanish. Um, we had specialists doing that, and we didn't have our normal class teachers for that. Um, and you know, and I think, you know, that's why I really enjoyed music. I can't say the same for PE. And that's why I really enjoyed languages. And so actually having that specialist teacher there and actually allowing our, our primary teachers to focus on um, other subjects as well. So actually, and that was just in a, you know, state primary school in Nottingham. So um, it can be done. And I suppose the climate in sort of 2023 is very very different to what it was perhaps 20 years ago but um it can be done now this is a great opportunity for me to remind you that yes teaching is a rewarding profession but it comes with its fair share of challenges that's where adapt come in they're not your typical trade union but instead they're a modern apolitical alternative offering expert legal employment and mental health support this is protection without the politics so what makes adapt different well they're always apolitical and independent they specialise solely in supporting individual teachers. 
every caseworker is professionally qualified ensuring you get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. So whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, ADAPT are there for you. So why not join the thousands of educators who have chosen ADAPT to protect their careers? Subscribe at adapt.org.uk today. ADAPT, supporting school staff, protecting careers. And here's something special for Teachers Talk Radio listeners during September. Use the codes TTR annual or TTR monthly and you will receive a 10% discount on a subscription. You've only got three days left. So with that, you can save over £80 compared to an equivalent union membership. So really do take advantage of that individualised professional support 24-7 from ADAPT. Um, I wanted to talk more widely, I suppose, about... um, workload and I wanted to go all the way back to the year 2003 over 20 years ago now there might be a price to somebody who can tell me what was significant about workload in 2003 um, but I'm not sure I'm going to get anybody coming in and telling me so I'm going to tell you because 2003 over 20 years ago now the government at the time and most of the education unions the exception being the NUT um, as they were signed up to an agreement on reducing teachers' workloads. And they came up with this list of 24, it was 25, but 24 tasks that teachers should not be expected to do. Now, whether you're listening live or whether you're listening back, I want you to listen to this list and work out how many of these you currently do in your teaching job or you did in your last teaching job. So we've got collecting money from pupils and parents, investigating your pupil's absence, book photocopying, typing or making word processed versions or revisions of manuscript material, word processing, copying and distributing book communications to parents and pupils, producing class lists on the basis of information provided by teachers, keeping and filing records, including records based on data supplied by teachers, preparing, setting up and taking down classroom displays in accordance with decisions taken by teachers, producing analyses of attendance figures, producing analyses of examination results, collating pupil reports, administration of work experience, but not selecting placements and supporting pupils by advice or visits, administration of public and internal examinations, administration of cover for absent teachers, ordering, setting up and maintaining ICT equipment and software, ordering supplies and equipment, cataloguing, preparing, issuing and maintaining materials and equipment and stock taking the same, taking verbatim notes or producing formal minutes of meetings. It hasn't finished yet. Coordinating and submitting bids for funding, school status, etc. using contributions from teachers and others. Two more. Transferring manual data about pupils not covered by the above into computerised school management systems. And finally, managing data in school management systems so we've got one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen fifteen sixteen seventeen eighteen nineteen twenty twenty one twenty one there some of them were merged together um out of those twenty one which basically the unions twenty years ago and the government agreed um to basically ensure that no teacher would be doing that i wonder how many of those things you currently do or have done in your current teaching role if it's more than ten i'd be getting a bit worried um I think I probably do, I'd say, seven or eight of those things in my position as a teacher with a TLR. And I know that middle leaders, um, 
who I know who have more responsibility than me will do much more than that. So that was 20 years ago. And yes, the world has moved on. But I suppose we we sort of took our foot off the board when it came to workload. And that led us to essentially to the 2016 teacher workload survey, which um, in 2016, it showed that teachers were working an average of 54.4 hours a week, which was nearly 11 hours per working day. Um, primary classroom teachers and middle leaders were working an average of over 55 hours, and secondary school teachers were working more than 53 hours a week. Um, but for senior leaders, it was even higher. For, pri- for um, primary, it was 60-hour weeks. Secondary school leaders were working 62-hour weeks so that works out at 12.4 hours a day essentially seven till seven or what six till five and then doing an extra um hour or whatever um hour and a half so yeah that's on average so some days would be even longer now in 2013 in 2013 the teaching and learning international survey or tallies um recorded um for secondary teachers in england a 45.9 hour working week so we've gone there from 46 almost to 53 so an extra um, seven hours according to my maps a week between 2013 and 2016. Um, the general secretary of NASWA at the time Chris Kate said once again the government's own data confirms that teachers and head teachers are dealing with unsustainable workload demands on a daily basis and much of their time is being spent on activities which are either unnecessary or could be undertaken by staff other than teachers. And it was agreed by this whole report was agreed by the government in 2014. And NASWA continued to say they cannot hide the inconvenient truth that the government's actions to date have failed to tackle the causes of excessive workload and working hours which are blighting the lives of teachers. Um, it also worked out uh, from this report that part a third of part-time teachers said that 40 percent of their total hours were worked outside of school hours so some really alarming statistics here from 2016 mary bowsted who at the time was general secretary of the atl said that the government recognizes the severity of the problems but questioned their action plan um, as being unambitious, which included a £75 million teaching innovation fund. Bowser continued by saying, um, the government has failed to heed the warnings of their previous research about what drives workload, accountability, offset inspections, and government policy change. These things continue to be the major drivers of workload, and there is little sign of a government plan to effectively tackle the root causes of this problem. That was 2016. It was seven years ago, and a lot of it has stayed the same. In fact, Miss Stevenson has t- tweeted us a uh, very good evening, Miss Stevenson, who has said, "I work in FE and have little PPA. I teach twenty-one hours and have two hours of CPD across four days, and despite not teaching at all on a Friday, I have three hours of ECT time for an afternoon faculty time. I'm struggling to organise my time and planning for the week week ahead." all on a Friday. I, I hear what you say there, Miss Stevenson. Um, and I think you've got a huge problem of basically having your PPA all lumped together in one day. Now, I think as Teachers Talk Radio, we did survey teachers on this in terms of whether teachers would prefer their PPA all blocked in one day and they could take it at home if they wanted or spread out 
across five days. And I think it was about 80-20, he said that they'd much rather one period of PPA a day. Um, so basically four, period four periods of teaching every day, rather than having four full days of teaching and then one day, wherever that might be, of no of PPA and of planning. Even if they could take it at home, they'd prefer the PPA a day spread out. So Miss Stevenson's uh, made a really, really good point there. Um, in terms of other comments, we've got another one about emails from Abby. says, I know some of our staff prefer to read about emails first thing in the morning. I was reading after school at home. If it's really important, I'll talk to staff face to face. Not always perfect, but I'm trying to be mindful of our workload. I think that's really key um, in terms of being um, mindful of workload. Um, it's really important. And I think from that perspective of a senior leader there, knowing your staff and knowing them and in terms of when they when they will pick up emails, when their workload is lighter, when their workload is heavier, um, you know, that's really important. It's really important. And yeah, it's a really good approach from SLT to know their staff. Now I'm going to fast forward from 2016 to 2019 to the next teacher workload survey. And let's have a look at this. So an expert from the UCL Institute of Education um, warned that the government's teacher workload survey was not fit for purpose, stating it had a woeful response rate and is being done on the cheap. And Professor jo John Jerim um, called on the DfE to commit more resources to gathering data on the hours teachers work from a truly representative cross-section of the profession. Um, he was a lead report on a lead author of a report that found that one in four teachers in 2019 pre-COVID were working more than 60 hours a week on the FFT education site. This is four years ago. Um, and he said that the gold standard would be for the next workload survey to attempt to gather time use diary data from a truly representative cross-section of teachers. This will undoubtedly mean the DfE has to commit more resources to measuring teacher workload rather than trying to do it on the cheap. Indeed, unless such data are collected, the DfE will probably never be able to measure teachers' working hours with the necessary precision to determine whether their efforts to reduce teacher workload have succeeded. Um, of the 900 schools for the 2016 survey, um, just 245, 27% agreed to take part. And then of the 10,000 teachers within the schools in 2016, just 3,000 completed the survey. So just over 30%. Um, so out of every 12 teachers in 2016 who were meant to respond to the teacher workload survey, 11 didn't. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's really interesting going into 2019. And having one in four teachers working more than 60 hours a week in 2019 um, based on a um, Nuffield Foundation survey of 40,000 primary and secondary teachers in England between 1992 and 2017 gives us perhaps a more reliable um, view on that. We then fast forward even further to March 2023 um, when a DSE survey was leaked, a leaked government report was showing, are you ready for this? Two in five school leaders working 12-hour days. What's changed? Nothing between 2016, 2019 and 2023. We've had a big old pandemic in the middle, but still the issue of workload has not been solved. And this is my problem. And this is me going on a rant here, um, which is that we're going to be sat here in 2028 and we're going to have a new um, report. Um, it will be Education Secretary Bridget Phillips, and or maybe it will still be the concept, is Education Secretary, who knows, maybe Julian Keegan will make last another five years. What an 
bet on it if I was a betting man. But the new education secretary has announced another workload reduction task force to reduce workload amongst the teaching profession. We're going to get another five hours a week taken off. The problem is it's not going to do anything. We've been there in 2016, we've got 12-hour working days. We've been there in 2019, we've had unacceptable 12-hour days. And then in 2023, we had 40% of school leaders working 12-hour days. And in the last three years, well, compared to 2019, um, this survey from 2023 showed that a classroom teacher's working week had reduced by less than an hour. Less than an hour in three years. And leaders' working weeks had gone up. So the government's um, pledge um, of essentially um, reducing teacher workload by five hours a week, it was calculated by Schools Week, but at that rate it would take more than 18 years to reduce teacher workload by five hours a week. This wasn't given to STRB, uh, but it has shown that oh, in the long term, in the last seven years, we really haven't got too much at all. Um, the government pledged in 2019 in their manifesto to drive down unnecessary workload and pressures so leaders can ensure schools are brilliant places to work, freeing teachers to focus on teaching great lessons. Gillian Keegan, of course, earlier this year said that artificial intelligence could potentially happen, help with day-to-day -day tasks. Um, and the NAHT said the findings were a damning indictment of government policies which have neglected schools for over a decade, and with them the futures of our children. They lay bare the unacceptable hours worked by school leaders who have lost nearly a fifth of their real terms pay since 2010, and overwhelmingly feel that their views are not valued by policy makers, including the government. Additional findings from this report was that 72% of teachers and leaders said their workload was unacceptable. 62% said they didn't have sufficient control over it either. Um, Two-thirds of teachers said, said they spent over half of their time on tasks other than teaching. Think about those lists of 21 tasks I did and how many you do. That's two-thirds of teachers saying they spent over half of their time on those things. The secondary teachers 77%. Um, and you had 13% who were rarely or not at all satisfied with their job, but 58% saying they were satisfied most or all of the time. Now, matching with what Gwen was told you about before she dropped out, she left teaching, 84% said that they enjoyed classroom teaching most or all of the time. And that's what keeps people in working with the kids. In terms of people considering leaving the state sector, you have 92% who reported high workload as a factor, you have 76% blaming government initiatives or policy changes, and 69% citing pressure around people, outcomes, or inspection. Um, as schools said that the report laid bare the crisis facing the teaching profession, uh, the DfE said it was listening to teachers about the issues that affect them, which is why our offer also committed to reducing workload by five hours a week. Five hours a week. Um, Gwen said it's not enough. Sam implied it's not enough. I don't think it's enough. If you do think it's enough, and I do really want to hear from you. So on the bottom left of your screen, you should be able to request to speak if you're listening live tonight. Um, if you don't want to speak, but you want to tweet or message or whatever we're calling it now, on the bottom right-hand side of your screen, there is a speech bubble. You can see where other people have tweeted us tonight, and you can tweet us your thoughts. Is five hours a week enough? Is the fact that we've would previously reduce them a teacher's workload by 48 minutes per 
48 minutes per week on average. Is that embarrassing? Is that something to be proud of? Um, and so in response to all of this and in the context of this report, um, the government um, this month announced a teacher workload advisory group. It will make recommendations to government, Ofsted and school and trust leaders by the end of March 2024. Um, initial recommendations would be made by the end of October 23, including, wait for this, updating and reinserting the previously removed list of 21 administrative tasks that do not require the professional skills of a teacher into the school teacher's pay conditions document. So those tasks, which I read out, and you thought, oh my word, I do at least half of these, we may find at the end of next month, you might not have to do any of these at all. It's also going to suggest um, straightening the implementation of the 2016 um, recommendations and maximising sign-up to the education staff while being charter. So on the surface, this looks like it might have a bit more of a difference than what we saw in 2016 and 2019. We then start to look at the people who are members of the task force. Now, I do know some of these people, and I know that they're wonderful people, um, but I won't tell you which people. I'll leave it up to you. Um, the current members are James Bowen, who is Assistant General Secretary of the NAHT. Uh, we also have Darren Northcock, um, a national official for NASWIT. Adrian Prandle, who is with the NEU, and Sarah Tanton, who is a Deputy Director at the Association of School and College Leaders, ASCOL. So all four of the major education unions are represented, represented. From then, it doesn't look as promising for your classroom teacher. We've got, I won't name these people, but we've got a CEO, um, another CEO, Another CEO, a director of training and development. We've got a senior advisor for the local government association. You've got a CEO, another CEO, um, a, de a deputy chief executive. How exciting. Not a CEO, but a deputy. Another CEO, a lecturer at UCL Institute of Education, and an English teacher. One English teacher in there at the end. And as Cape Town PJ has said, the problem is there are actually no teachers represented on that task force. Not fully true. You've got Kate Treacy there, English teacher at Parliament Hill School. Although my understanding about Parliament Hill School is that they are sort of workload leaders to an extent. Um, and that Kate's actually a middle leader rather than a classroom teacher, which, hey, it's better than nothing. Um, and a lot of the people who have tweeted us over the last week or two weeks or so have made the same point that I have, which is, look, we need more classroom teachers represented on the task force. And we actually need to hear more from class teachers. And a lot of people agree. Some people might argue that actually CEOs have the um, helicopter view, if you like, of education and can take soundings from their teachers and can represent um, hundreds, if not thousands, of teachers um, rather than just individuals. And that might be one way of looking at it. But Cape Town PJ is still with us. And you said the problem is there are actually no teachers represented on that task force. Anything else you want to say about that task force? Um, well, I'm, I mean, there, there, there is a diverse sort of representation across 
the the breadth of of education and schools as such but working teachers those are the people who are experiencing the problem now for example if you equate it if you're trying to investigate something in your school for example if you want to change your ethos or you're looking at introducing something you're going to consult your pupil voice because that's the body of your school and similarly these are the people that are working on the ground experiencing it every day they have a strong opinion on what works for them and what doesn't work for them and what they find useful and what they don't find useful rather than relying on survey results i i think the voice of teachers need to be there the voice of people who are active in it every day need to be part of the solution i i fully agree with you there um in terms of making sure that classroom teachers voices are well and truly heard i mean one way of looking at it is classroom teach you know and i don't want to disparage ceos here because i do know a few and i know that they do genuinely care about education and they do care about the schools they manage um but if cl- classroom teachers aren't on these um, panels because they don't have the time to be on these panels and ceos yeah they are busy people they have a different set of challenges but actually ceos do have the time to appear on these panels so we could be giving teachers more time to actually you know give their views to the government the education select committee um, is always a really important one um, to speak with as well Um, and yeah in fact i'm going to tell you now you can email the workload reduction task force with your views on how to improve teacher workload their email address get ready you might want a pen and paper is workloadreduction.taskforce all one word taskforce at education.gov.uk so if you want to let this workload reduction taskforce know what would work for you as a classroom teacher i reckon you could probably email them and let them know now be very nice because i'm sure they're busy people and they're all professionals and certainly don't swear or anything like that um but just just drop them an email and just say look i'd really appreciate it if we can focus on this we've spoken tonight about all sorts of things we've spoken about ppa we've spoken about emails we've spoken about reducing curriculum content um one thing we haven't spoken about is homework which is really interesting um and probably a whole new show um we've spoken about emails uh, we've spoken about working hours and um, we've spoken about um, re- basically removing ideas and policies which don't have an impact on the kids. I spoke very early at the start of the show about flexible education. We've had um, people like Sam come in and talk about flexible working and working from home. Um, and of course, um, on Monday, a couple of days ago, um, Tom Rogers, who is here in the studio tonight, um, very good evening, Tom. Um, hosted lit with Lindsay Patience and Lucy Rose about their new book with Sage Flex Education, and you can get twenty five percent off that with the code TTR twenty five from the Sage website. And of course, next Monday Tom Rogers is back, um, and he's going to be asking, "Are teachers more tired than ever before?" The other thing we talked about was whole class feedback, not marking. Sam was very supportive. Um, Gwen was cautious. And if you want to find out more about verbal feedback, then it's great time for me to tell you that this episode is sponsored by Vibble, the home of verbal feedback. Vibble is a feedback management platform designed to reduce teacher workload. Using Vibble, you can simply snap student work, record verbal feedback, and send your feedback to a student or even a whole class in seconds. Once your students receive your feedback, they're notified by email and can access and respond to your feedback on any device. 
You can track and monitor how students interact with your feedback and set up feedback coaches to instill a culture of best practice in your school. The possibilities are endless, and this is why Vibble has been trusted by schools across 18 countries to reduce teacher workload and give better, faster, and more collaborative feedback. So to set up a free trial or pilot, visit www.vibble.co.uk today. It's also a really good opportunity for me to remind you that, yes, teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges, and that's where that come in. They're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern apolitical alternative offering expert legal employment and mental health support protection without the politics. So what makes ADAPT different? Firstly, they're always apolitical and independent. They specialise solely in supporting individual teachers, and every caseworker is professionally qualified, ensuring you get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, ADAPT are there for you. Join the thousands of educators who have chosen ADAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at adapt.org.uk today. ADAPT, supporting school staff protecting careers and something special for teachers talk radio listeners in the final three days of september you can use the codes ttr annual or ttr monthly and you'll receive a 10 percent discount on a subscription with adapt you can save over 80 pounds compared to an equivalent union membership it's something i've really been considering moving to adapt myself and you know those discount codes um, could be really really useful for me yeah so thank you very much to our sponsors for a month of adapt and also a big thank you to Vibble as well um, in terms of what we've got for you on the rest of Teachers Talk Radio this week, I'm delighted to tell you now that in ten minutes, in ten minutes' time, um, Hannah Wilson is going to be over on Podbean, and she's joined by special guest Andy Goldhawk um, to talk about his latest book, The Super Quick Guide to Learning Theories and Teaching Approaches. I think that sounds really, really interesting. And I can't wait to find out more about those learning theories and teaching approaches. So in 10 minutes time, do you make sure you join Hannah over on the other side, so to speak, on Podbean. Um, other shows which have really caught my eye over the last few weeks. Lucy showed two weeks ago now and with Adrian Bethune, I can't never pronounce his surname. Uh, well-being in the primary classroom. Um, really, really important. Um, and we've been focusing on workload, workload and well-being often in hand. So make sure that... Um, you keep an eye on that as well. Um, that's available on our website, ttradio.org forward slash listen back. Um, Marie is on, on the 2nd of October on Monday. She's joined by Zoe, who is, works in the college and is a yoga teacher. Um, they'll be talking about how she works with young people with sentimental health needs and how we can all bring a bit of peace into our daily lives. Um, Richie has been on um, this Monday talking about the current gender divide and ideas about how to teach boys effectively. That sounds really interesting as well. Um, we've got Paul Hazard on tomorrow. Really excited about this one. He's on with Professor Dan Rebellato, who's a prolific dramatist, writer, and lecturer about the underused audio drama in of audio drama in teaching and learning. That sounds really exciting. I know Dan's got quite a big following, so I'm really excited to have him on there. Um, and Emily Edwards was on, of course. Um, I really like Emily as a host. Absolutely brilliant set of shows she had recently. And her latest show last night was on building positive relationships, exploring a practical definition of what positive relationships are 
by discussing some tried and tested tips for building more positive relationships with our students. The key thing here from a Teachers Talk Radio perspective, and I'll always beat the drum for TTR, is these hosts are teachers like you. Um, I'm teaching 21 hours a week this year. Everly's been, te- you know, teaching as a head of subject. Um, Marie has been leading a school. Paul has just retired from teaching and has had a long and illustrious career. Richie's a teacher of English. Um, you've, you know, Tom is still teaching. Um, Tom Rogers is still teaching amongst his many other responsibilities. Lucy, of course, is a primary school teacher. We're teachers. We're talking teaching. We know what it's like at the moment into the month of September and in teaching in the autumn term. We know it's tough. And we're here to help support you. And if you want to join us on Teachers Talk Radio and you want to host your own show, we'd love to have you. There are many different ways you can get involved. The first easiest way is to DM us at TT Radio Official on Twitter slash X. Ask us for an info pack and we'd be more than happy to help you. The second thing you can do is fill out our contact form on our website, ttradio.org, expressing your interest in being a host, and we'd love to hear from you on that. And of course, if you want to come straight at us, you can email us at info at ttradio.org. We've got some spaces available. Uh, we've got evening shows. We have morning break shows for part those who teach part-time or might not be teaching at the moment because they might have retired. We have weekend slots. We have slots on Spaces. We have slots on Podbean. We've got so much out there, and we really want to hear from you, the wonderful teaching profession. Whether you're an ECT or a head teacher or somewhere in between, or you're a TA or you work or you're a tutor or whatever your role in education is, if you're working in a school most of the week, and you're working with kids and you're working with other teachers, we want to hear from you as a host on Teachers Talk Radio. Now, I do want to wrap up tonight because I know that Hannah is going to be on in five minutes and I want to ensure that as many um, of our wonderful listeners as possible listening live get over to Podbean in time for Hannah at 9pm and a wonderful special guest. Um, If you want to listen live, you can go to the Listen Live page on our website at um, ttradio.org or you can go on Podbean, download the Podbean app and listen. You can text in and call into the Podbean studio live from 9pm. Really excited about Hannah's show at 9pm. And that's why we're going to wrap up a little bit early. A big thank you to our sponsors tonight. A big thank you to Gwen and to Sam um, and for um, Cape Town PJ for calling in as well. A massive thank you to Lucy, who's been behind the scenes and an absolute star from half past seven. And I shall see you in a future Wednesday to come. So... It's goodbye from me. Tune in. Talk it out. See you later. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.